Hello there and welcome into another edition of The Intersection with conversation about a variety of topics, including news, information, and lifestyles approached from a Christian worldview perspective. Well, coming up on this edition of The Intersection, you'll meet Andrew Farley, an author, speaker, and media host who pastors a church in Texas called Church Without Religion. He's written a book which counters some principles that Christians may have been taught, but that may not have a biblical basis. Find out more ahead. Then it's back to the 2019 National Religious Broadcasters Convention in Anaheim, California. More face-to-face content from the exhibit hall. You'll be hearing comments from Mike McGrew, who has over 30 years of law enforcement experience. He talked with me about what God has done in his life and how his relationship with Christ affected his approach to his work. Material from that conversation is coming up. Also from NRB 2019 in Anaheim, you'll be hearing from Michael Canis. He stopped by Faith Radio Meeting House Media Central to discuss the Great Seal of the United States, offering spiritual perspective on it. You'll be hearing from him as well. And coming up on this edition of The Intersection, the San Antonio City Council decided recently to exclude Chick-fil-A from opening a restaurant at its international airport. First Liberty contends that laws were broken and religious bias was involved. You'll be hearing some of the perspective of attorney Keisha Russell from that organization. Plus, more from NRB in California as Robert and Elizabeth Glover of the ministry Care for Children sat down to discuss their experience in placing children in Shanghai into loving homes, an event that provides the basis for a documentary film called Children of Shanghai. This is The Intersection, a production of The Meeting House, I'm Bob Crittenden. Andrew Farley is lead pastor of Church Without Religion in Texas. In a recent conversation, he shared principles relative to his book, Twisted Scripture, Untangling 45 Lies Christians Have Been Told. Here now from that conversation is author, speaker, and media host, Andrew Farley. I grew up and in a Christian home and went to a Christian school and attended church every Sunday But by the time I was 19 years old, Bob, I was on the floor of my apartment, and I was begging God for answers. I was saying, God, I'm doing everything that the Christian world told me to do. I'm reading my Bible four and five hours a day. I'm in church every time the doors are open. I'm literally sharing my faith with every single person that I meet, whether they want to hear it or not. And yet, I don't feel like I'm growing spiritually. I don't feel like I'm getting closer to you. So God, where did I go wrong? And Bob, it was not a lightning bolt out of heaven. It was more like a decade of replacing old thoughts with new thoughts. And and at the center of that was God's grace. I mean, I was focused so much, Bob, on what I was doing for God instead of being focused on what God had done for me through Jesus Christ. And so I had to recalibrate. I mean, I had to let go of a bunch of religious garbage and really fix my eyes on Christ and learn what it means to relax with God and to be united with Christ and stop working for what I already have in Him. Andrew Farley is joining us today here on The Meeting House on Faith Radio. He is the author of this new book called Twisted Scripture, Untangling 45 Lies Christians Have Been Told. And you mentioned something, and I wanted to follow up with you because there are so many 
there are so many thought patterns that we become trapped in, and the enemy gets in there and tells us, well, we're not doing enough for God. We're, we're on this performance track. I know that it's been referred to as that. It's been called a, a hamster wheel, just going over and over again. And you're working for God. You're trying to prove yourself. And there's really no measure of grace. You're just so caught up in work. And it seems to me that God offers us so much more. And that's what we want to explore here today as we talk about some of these lies that the enemy tells us and and lies that Christians have believed in. And it seems like this whole works-based mentality has got to be one of the, or at the root of so many of these, it seems. Oh, oh, absolutely. I mean, Christians are scared, Bob. That's what I'm seeing. Uh, You know, I I do a call-in radio program where people ask questions that are, of concern to them. And probably one of the top questions we get is basically this, have I ruined things? Is God done with me? Have I committed the unpardonable? Have I fallen from grace? Is God going to say, depart from me? Is he going to blot me out of his book? Is he going to spew me out of his mouth? Uh, Have I fallen from grace? Have I ruined things? Have I lost my salvation? Christians are are scared, and it's because we're getting a mix. We don't realize it, but we're getting a mixture of performance-based teaching and grace-based teaching, and we need to understand that the the truth is always going to set us free every single time. So in this book, Twisted Scripture, I'm addressing these lies and saying, hey, there's a context here when Jesus says, depart from me, that's not written about Christians. That's about people that he never knew. Depart from me, I never knew you. So this is not someone who knew the Lord and then later lost something. No, these are unbelievers who, in fact, were bragging about their works instead of relaxing in the finished work of Jesus Christ. So that's just one example of how Scripture can be twisted and taken out of context, and ultimately it incites fear. But God says that His perfect love casts out our fear. So, Bob, that's the focus of this book, and my prayer is that people will really be set free in the love and grace of God. Andrew Farley here on The Intersection. You can find out more by going to the website, andrewfarley.org. Next up on this edition of The Intersection, it's Mike McGrew with over 30 years' experience in law enforcement. His story is told in the book, A Higher Call to Duty, the true life story of Sergeant Mike McGrew. In our conversation at the 2019 National Religious Broadcasters Convention in California, he shared about how God changed his life and how that affected his approach to police work. From that conversation, this is Mike McGrew now. I was a police officer for 31 years up in Santa Barbara, and I worked several different assignments, but most of the time I worked uh, major crimes, which was homicide, robberies, stabbings, uh, sexual assaults, and and, uh, uh, very serious crimes. Uh, I also worked patrol, and I, I did a short uh, stint as a motorcycle officer towards the end of my career. And uh, uh, I, what motivated me to write this book was, um, uh, as, a, as a cop, uh, people don't realize, I think sometimes, just the, the impact that first responders go through uh, dealing with trauma and, and the calls that they go on on, on a daily basis. And uh, for me, uh, I was not a believer for the first 20 years of my career. And I um, 
I handled that uh, probably the wrong way when I was trying to deal with the stresses that that job can put on people because uh, cops and firefighters and, and first responders, they, they respond to things that, that most people will never ever experience, nor would you want them to do that. And I think some, some days I was out there asking myself why I'm doing this job, and it was because I didn't want somebody else to have to uh, do what I was doing at that very moment. Um, but uh, as, as I went through my career, I always saw that no matter how bad a situation, there was always something positive. There was always something good and strong that would always keep me back, coming back. And I didn't know what that was or recognize it at that time, but it was God's grace. And it was, it was watching him uh, work through these situations that was just amazing. You could see a victim just stand up and have strength beyond uh, what somebody could imagine or a community come together to help people in, in their time of need. So I experienced a lot uh, as a law enforcement officer. I had some big crimes, some, some major uh, investigations that I write about in the book. And then I talk about the impacts that, that uh, first responders go through uh, doing that job. And I want you to share now about, and obviously, as you mentioned, you were involved in some major cases. And I can imagine that this is the type of work that would really wear on a person. So you were at a point, as I understand it, in your life where things were on a, on a downward trajectory. And yes. God intervened in your life in a powerful way. Share about that, if you would, he, please. He did. Uh, you know, I, I, was, uh, I was in a place where, where there wasn't a whole lot of hope. Uh, I, uh, my youngest son, one of the biggest things that happened in my life was my youngest son got diagnosed with bone cancer when he was 12 years old. And uh, at that time, I didn't know the Lord. A lot of people would say, hey, uh, you might want to consider a relationship with Jesus and, and, uh, and the comfort that he has to offer. And, and at that time, it was something that I you know, just filed away, but I, I couldn't really understand the situation. I didn't know what was happening. But that comp uh, uh, just compiled with the things that I had gone uh, through as a cop and, and how I dealt with things. I, I chased the, the comforts of the world to, to ease my burdens. And I came to a point where uh, now I uh, had lost uh, two marriages uh, as a cop. I had a, uh, my youngest son was dying of cancer and my older son had gotten involved in a drug addiction. So I, I was in a place where there was, for me at that point, just looking around, I, I didn't see a whole lot of hope or where, uh, you know, I, I, I didn't have, um, there wasn't a light for me to, to really look at until uh, I met my, my current wife and uh, she took me to a, a Christian um, worship concert up at Santa Barbara County Bowl. It was our first date. I didn't know what I was getting into, <laughs> but um, it, it was there that the pastor came out in the middle of the, the concert and spoke. And when he talked about what God has to offer and the comfort and the, uh, just the ability to put our burdens down. And, and, and he, he was just speaking to me, and God used that man to, to speak into my heart that night. And it was so, uh, so impactful that I was looking around at 5,000 people going, wow, how does this guy know my story? So uh, the very next day, my, my cousin, who is a police officer up in Santa Barbara, uh, he, he's a lieutenant there now, uh, he'd been praying for me, he'd, he'd been a believer, and he'd been praying for me all along through all of my trials. 
And uh, I, I came to him and I, I said, Dan, would you, would you tell me about Jesus? And that was the turning moment for me because it, it all began to make sense for me. And, and my faith started that day and I gave my life to the Lord. Mike McGrew here on The Intersection. Find out more by going to Sergeant, that's S-G-T, Mike McGrew, M-C-G-R-E-W, dot com. More from NRB 2019 at Faith Radio Meeting House Media Central. Michael Kanis stopped by to discuss his book, The Hidden Message of the Great Seal, How Foundational Truth from the Dawn of Liberty May Rescue a Republic in Peril. He emphasized spiritual content in the seal. For that conversation, this is Michael Kanis. The seal was called for by Congress on July 4th. 1776. Oh my goodness. Does that sound like a familiar date? It sounds yeah, vaguely familiar. <laughs> what was that again? No, no, <laughs> but that occurred, the, the, the um, ratification of the Declaration of Independence occurred at 2 p.m. in the afternoon. And there was a motion to dismiss, but uh, it, it didn't pass. They took a break, came back, first order of business, they passed a resolution calling for the seal. But they called the same three men, Franklin, Jefferson, and Adams, who had just written the declaration to write the seal. So there you have this expression of intent. They wanted the seal to say the same thing that the declaration so did. So it was a, a visual, artistic representation of the declaration of the in a sense. same principles and values, exactly. And let me tell you, Bob, what they did. They decided to do an allegory. Okay, and it is an allegorical message, which is a, a, a story told with symbols. Well, let me describe it for you. It has a picture of Moses standing on the shore of the Red Sea, a pillar of fire and a pillar of cloud, which is representative of the covenant, which mm-hmm. you know that, mm-hmm. and rays of glory shining down from the pillar onto Moses, signifying the divine presence and command. Pharaoh in his army, Pharaoh with a crown on his head, a sword in his hand, in his chariot, which is kind of a throne for a commander in battle, a king, being overwhelmed by the Red Sea. And that was the first proposal for the seal, an amazing allegorical scene it is taken directly from uh, the book of Exodus. Mm. And so as it began to be designed, mm-hmm. you, you mentioned the, the three gentlemen. Now, yeah. Franklin, did Franklin do any of the artwork? Because he's, you know, he's, he's got that t- talent in that area. Oh, no, he did not. Okay. Um, they hired a um, heraldic expert by the name of De Cimetière that did the okay. artwork. But, um, but yes, so, and, and here you have, no, you, you can... It's very obvious that 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 original scene that we just described, that's not part of the seal that we have today, right? I mean, you can look at it and you're like, well, why is that relevant? Well, it's relevant because even though the imagery changed, the message did not. Mm. The themes are consistent. And it it might surprise you if you uh, pull out your dollar bill, as you mentioned earlier, and you look, look over the eagle. Do you see that constellation of stars? Look around those stars. You have the cloud. It's still there. You have the rays of glory. And and it actually isn't quite represented accurately on the dollar bill in a Uh couple of different ways. But one of the ways is those rays of glory are washing over the entire scene, over the eagle, expressing God's presence over the entire device, which gives 
possession and ownership and approval. See, this is the kind of presence that, that isn't God's omnipresence. This is the kind of presence that's his intimate presence that is only expressed when God is pleased with something. So you have very much this sense of, you know, it's like 2 Corinthians uh, 6.16, which says, what harmony have the temple of God with idols or Christ with Belial? Touch not the unclean thing, and I will be your God, and you will be my people, and I will walk with you, and I will dwell with you, and you shall be for me a treasured possession. So here you have this wonderful covenantal love of God expressed through this imagery that stems back all the way to the beginning and in, in the, in the three writers of the Declaration. Michael Kane is here on The Intersection. Learn more through the website hiddenmessage.org. This is The Intersection Podcast, a weekly production of The Meeting House, and you can find out more through meetinghouseonline.info or by visiting the programming section at faithradio.org. You'll find a link to the Media Center through which you can listen to or download full conversations with recent guests on the Intersection podcast. Content from the podcast is also featured on the Faith Radio app. Learn about downloading it for your smartphone or tablet by visiting faithradio.org. You can also see other apps through which you can access content by going to the Meeting House homepage. Also, when you visit the Meeting House homepage, you can find the Intersection podcast. It's available through the Media Center. You can also subscribe through iTunes. And there are two blogs that are accessible. One is The Three, with three stories of relevance to the Christian community. The other is The Front Room, with devotional thoughts and commentary from the Meeting House. And you can follow me on Twitter and access the Meeting House Facebook page. There's also a link to video content, including recently added content from the 2019 National Religious Broadcasters Convention. Again, that website address is meetinghouseonline.info, or you can visit the Faith Radio website at faithradio.org. You'll find the Meeting House link through the programming section. Next up on this edition of The Intersection, it's Keisha Russell, Associate Counsel to First Liberty Institute. She discussed with me the vote of the San Antonio City Council to exclude Chick-fil-A from the city's international airport, contending that the city has committed multiple legal violations. Here now from that conversation is Keisha Russell. With respect to the airport, uh, the San Antonio City Council uh, reviewed a concession agreement, and on that agreement, Chick-fil-A was, you know, uh, among the restaurants included, and they, you know, voted to... to, um, accept that concession agreement on the express condition that Chick-fil-A and only Chick-fil-A be excluded. Um, So that action produces a lot of violations, we think, of the Constitution, Um, not just, you know, religious discrimination, outright hostility to religion. Um, You know, the government's required to be neutral to to religious viewpoints, and San Antonio is demonstrating that it is not at all neutral. It's also unequal treatment. Um, just being on the basis of religion. Uh, it's a viewpoint discrimination, which is a violation of the free speech clause. I mean, there's a whole long list of things, not to mention the fact that by accepting, you know, funds from the FAA through the Department of Transportation for this um, airport, San Antonio agrees that it's not going to discriminate on the basis of religion, and that's what they did here. 
Well, and so you've got you've got several different layers here, Keisha. Not only do you have the mm-hmm. city council that is engaging in what is what I would call, and based on what what you've said, viewpoint discrimination. One could say, well, these are private entities. This uh, paradise or our parodies, Lagadere, I think, is something like that. The name of the 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 people running the concessions there at the airport, but they had to get approval from the city council. There you have a government entity. Mm -hmm. I know the Mm -hmm. attorney general there in Texas is also investigating whether or not state laws have been broken and First Liberty has become involved because of the issues that are raised by this case. You Mm -hmm. all have taken certain action, including contacting the Department of Transportation in Washington. Washington. So Mm -hmm. tell me about that contact that has occurred there. Yeah, so we wrote uh, Secretary Elaine Chow of the Department of Transportation a letter outlining all of the um, legal issues with what San Antonio did, asking the department to evaluate um, the grants that they extended to San Antonio and looking at, you know, the discriminatory treatment um, of Chick-fil-A and, in fact, pull those grants if they find that San Antonio violated the, the agreements that um, they made with the federal government when they accepted that money. Um, Thus far, I think one of the things we're we're currently doing also is asking San Antonio through Public Records Act for all of their communications uh, among themselves about Chick-fil-A and their decision um, in order to turn over all those, everything that we get and find out uh, to the Department of Transportation or even to the Texas AG uh, in order to help any sort of investigation that either entity wants to pursue. From your knowledge, what what is the AG doing at this particular time? I think at this at this point, we're not. I'm not quite sure what the Texas AG um, is doing. I know that they um, have expressed lots of interest in the situation and wanting to evaluate um, what exactly happened with San Antonio and why they chose to ban Chick Fil A. Uh, but in terms of them taking any action yet, I haven't heard that that um, has happened um, yet. Uh, but I definitely, you know. We definitely assume that in the coming days and weeks that we'll, there'll be some movement on this issue as, you know, San Antonio has to turn over some of their documents. Keisha Russell from First Liberty here on The Intersection. The website address for the organization is first, F-I-R-S-T, liberty, dot O-R-G. Finally, on this edition of The Intersection, it's Robert and Elizabeth Glover of the ministry Care for Children. They visited Faith Radio Meeting House Media Central in the exhibit hall at the 2019 NRB Convention in California and shared about the documentary Children of Shanghai, which spotlights their work in finding loving homes for children in that area. Here now are Robert and Elizabeth Glover. As God called us, I think there were, there were two things that went hand in hand. God's agenda, I think what happened was that God showed us his agenda and he loves the orphan and the widow. And um, through that, I think that what happened was that God said, you know, seek first my kingdom and all will be added. And we went out um, to, to actually just have a focus on changing the lives of those children that were lying in cots in orphanages. And through that, God's really started to um to to grow our children as well in in his kingdom at the same time so i think that's that's sort of what happened the two things went hand in hand with family and with going out and we would go into the orphanage regularly as a family but robert had an office in the shanghai 
Estate Orphanage. So he was based in the orphanage um, for his for his whole work day. Um, I don't know. If you yeah, I mean that was an interesting uh, <laughs> yeah. concept. Um, you know, I was in had this office and I had uh, some staff that we were training. And, um, you know, I was very conscious that some people didn't seem to want me to be there. And so, I can imagine. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, you know, I said to the, the guy that was, you know, sent to work with me from the government, I, you know, I asked him one day, you know, what do people think about me being here? And uh, they, he said, well, probably a third um, really don't care. They're only coming in here to get their work done and yeah. get their money. A third, the older guard, they really don't want you here. Um, but the younger people really want to learn and, um, and change. And... Um, I was very conscious that um, I wasn't allowed to eat in the canteen. I had to eat on my own in my uh, office. Um, and so often at lunchtime, because I'd been a previously a soccer player, um, I took a football in uh, to some of the older boys. And I, I, I kind of recognized these boys weren't going to get families and they'd had quite a tough life. And wouldn't it be good if we could uh, spend a bit of time playing soccer? Well, actually, they were, they were quite good, and uh, I got permission to, to train them you know, as a team, and we got my old club to send out a, a uniform mm-hmm. uh, with the, the shirt and shorts and socks, and, and we drilled them quite well and got them to a place where, you know, where I think Liverpool came out and uh, spent a bit of time training them as well. And so we entered them in the summer into the Shanghai Schools Trophy. And quite remarkably, these boys went through all the rounds and the tension got bigger and bigger in the newspaper. They got to the final and um, they played the American school in the final and won 5-2, which was phenomenal. I never forget the mayor of Shanghai coming down to present the cup and his words being very pragmatic. Chinese are very pragmatic. He said... You know, all your life you have been losers. Today you're winners. And I thought, wow, that's a that's <laughs> awesome. What a great yeah. What yeah. a great image. Well, so, the next day, I just, uh, just sorry, just finish off. The next day, knock on my door. There was Madame Wong, this very fearsome lady who's in control of the whole orphanage, stood there with all the staff, with my bowl with my name on it, which meant. I was accepted. You're in. You're in. <laughs> I'm in. I can go to the canteen. <laughs> Congratulations. Okay. So now there's this film. It's a documentary. It's called Children of Shanghai. So, Elizabeth, what's the premise of this film? What did the yeah. filmmakers want to do with yeah. respect to, to this yeah. story? Because I know yeah. that there's a, a, a tracking of progress that yeah. is uh, yeah. occurring, right? Well, absolutely. Um, what the film shows is the outcome of children's lives when they're placed into loving families. Um, I mean, when we met these children, we we didn't know which ones we were going to meet. We'd placed 100 children in 1998 into families. It was the first time that we had, had uh, done uh, this family placement. And so we wanted to go back and find some children from the first 100 children to find out what had happened in their lives you know this is 20 years on and we were shocked ourselves we were shocked at the miracle that God has done in these children's lives I mean total transformation they um, they're so whole and rounded and and fulfilled adults because of the love of of a mother and father and the expression of family life you know God set set up um, family life as the way to raise children and you just see the difference that it makes they it was astonishing some of the some of the the things that these children are involved in now as adults is astonishing elizabeth and robert glover here on the intersection learn more at childrenofshanghai.com 
Well, we are nearing the end of this week's edition of the Intersection Podcast, a weekly production of The Meeting House. The website address is meetinghouseonline.info, or you can go to the programming section at faithradio.org. You'll find a link to the Media Center, and in the Media Center, you will find the Intersection Podcast, the current episode, as well as previous episodes. The podcast is also available through iTunes. Two blogs are accessible through the Meeting House homepage. One is The Three with three stories of relevance to the Christian community. The other is The Front Room with devotional thoughts and commentary from The Meeting House. You can follow me on Twitter and access The Meeting House Facebook page. And there is a link to video content. Full conversations with guests from the Intersection podcast can also be found through the Faith Radio app and an assortment of other apps. Learn more when you go to meetinghouseonline.info. Thanks for joining me for this edition of the Intersection Podcast. I'm Bob Crittenden.